So we're in Luke chapter 5, we're beginning chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, let me turn over there. Luke 5, 1 through 11, we'll go ahead and read, read the passage here. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the, a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Father, we... We just come before You once again humbly. We approach Your Word humbly. Father, we ask You, Lord, to to speak to our hearts. Father, I ask You to apply this text to our hearts. I ask You to help me in communicating the truths of this passage, Lord. And I ask just help from Your Holy Spirit, God. Father, we pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified and that Your will would be done. In Christ's name, amen. So just by way of review for just a minute, guys, really about the whole book of Luke. We've we've come through four chapters now. And so you know, sometimes you can get, you can lose sight of the forest from the trees. So it's always good to remember the context of the whole letter, or the whole gospel. Um, Really, just remember that that Luke is, he's, his whole purpose is, he's just, he's, making a case for Jesus as the Messiah. He's presenting Jesus as the Christ. And, and if you guys remember, we talked about really at the beginning of the book that Luke, he's a careful, he was a careful researcher and an historian, very detailed guy, more than, more than the other writers, the other gospel writers. Um, when we think back to the beginning of this gospel, um, you know, Luke, he documented the birth of, of Christ, him being the son of David, we talked about that, how he was the all these fulfillments of the Old Testament, that he was the son of David, that he was virgin born. There, there's, there's a reason why he was emphasizing these things, that he was virgin born, conceived by the Spirit. Meaning, right early on in the Gospel letter, he's emphasizing the fact that he is truly God and truly man. Not like the, uh, the teacher that I mentioned Wednesday night, Robert Morris, down in Dallas area. I heard him the other day. He's a, he's heretical. He literally said that Jesus 
gave up His deity completely when He came to this earth. Remember Jesus, He didn't lay aside His deity. He laid aside certain privileges of His deity. But He said He laid aside His deity completely. That's the only way He could truly be a man is if He ceased to be God. That is, that is not true. No, He was truly God and truly man. Not 50% or, or not, not 75% God and 30% man. No, He's not 50-50. He's 100% man and 100% God. And so that's, that's, that's just... The, the verse that uh, Trish and I... I don't know if you mentioned it in the car or you read it. Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, All the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form in Christ. So He is truly God, truly man. Luke presented his genealogy from his mother's side. You know, it's a little bit different than Matthew's genealogy. If you remember, Matthew's genealogy went back to Abraham and the whole, and it was through Joseph's line, presented him as the, as the king of the Jews. Luke's genealogy went all the way back, not to, not to David, not to Abraham, but to Adam. Because Luke's emphasis is that he is the Savior, not just of the Jews, but of the world. Again, he is presenting Christ as the promised Messiah, the one who would come to save sinners from every tribe, every tongue, every language. He gave an account of his personal victory over the devil in the wilderness. Showing, showing, we because we were today we're really going to be looking at his deity, but we spent many weeks just emphasizing the fact that he was truly man, just like you and I, and he withstood the temptations of the devil as a man, and even showed us how to do it. Right, the word of God, that's our weapon. And so, Jesus in in in, in the last chapter in Luke, in Luke chapter four, really he's beginning his ministry, and he was preaching in the synagogue in his hometown at Nazareth. And we see him with these words in, in chapter 4, verse 18. He opened up the, the Old Testament Scriptures to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And in Luke 4, 18, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And, and so he goes on and he says this, and then he tells them, Oh yeah, this has been fulfilled. I am the one. And so he's... He is, he is saying Himself that He is the Messiah. He's fulfilled these things. Luke presents His power over demons that we looked at a few weeks ago. We looked at last week His power over disease and sickness and we'll continue to see through the Gospel of Luke His power over these things. And so, beloved, Luke wants his readers to know, okay? He, he wrote to an individual, Theophilus, but trying to convince him, but also those who would read he wants his readers to know that he is the Son of God. That he is the Savior of the world. But even more so than that, he wants people to be convinced. Convinced of this. There's a lot of people who they believe he's the Son of God, maybe even the Savior of the world. Right? Like the demons and the devil, they believe all those facts. But he wants people to be so convinced to the point that they embrace him as Lord. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's not. You remember in John's gospel, it says these things are written so that you may believe. That's really the point of all the gospels. It really is. That, that statement really sums up all the gospels. They're presenting Christ as the promised one from the Old Testament. So that's the point. And so that's really, when we look at chapter 5 today, these first 11 verses, chapter 5 really begins with Jesus calling His first disciples to Himself. 
That's what we see in this text here. And so we're going to look at three things if you have your outline. We're going to look at Christ, His masterful fishing, His mighty power, and His merciful call. His masterful fishing, His mighty power, and His merciful call. You say, you might say, wow, His masterful fishing, was He a fisherman? Well, we're going to see today He was. <laughs> that's really not even <laughs> what that's hinting at. He's, he's a masterful fisherman. And so, let's look at that, verses 1-5. through five, His masterful fishing. Because the title of the message is called to, be a fish, called to be fishers of men. That's speaking to you and I. We are called out of darkness. Christ calls us to Himself to be fishers of men. And so that's what we're going to see today, His masterful fishing. Starting out in verse 1, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Him and listening to the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. I think that's how I pronounced it a while ago. Gennesaret. <clears throat> now it happened. That phrase, now it happened, beloved, this, this just indicates that there's been an indefinite amount of time that has passed since the end of chapter 4. Some of the times, you know, when we... You go from verse to verse or chapter to chapter, it's like immediately following. This is really indefinite. Really don't know how much time's passed exactly. But we know that he's still in Galilee doing his ministry. Uh, and, and, and the crowds are beginning to press on. The crowds are beginning to grow. Right? He's performing these miracles now. So the crowds are beginning to grow. It says they're pressing in upon him. You think about how big some of these crowds may be getting. Uh, it'll be real shortly that we'll start seeing him feeding these thousands of people. 15,000 people. These people following him. And so the crowds are getting bigger. Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, and, and I didn't know this, he estimated that in Galilee, in that, in that part of the world during that time, there was roughly 3 million people. It's a lot of people. And so, yeah, don't picture it. He's just out there, just a few people here and there. No, he, the, the crowds are following him. But you think about it. Think about all these people and all these crowds. And yet, when you look at Jesus' ministry, even at the very end, how many disciples did he have that were truly following him? Eleven. And then, even on the day of Pentecost, 120. I say that just for you and I. You know, we don't need to get discouraged or too encouraged by numbers. Um. That, that's just really the way that the modern church has made it. That success is always determined by numbers, and it's not. It's not. So Jesus was a failure. And so, obviously, we're interested in numbers. We want people to come and know Christ. But that's not always an indication of success. But it says the crowds were pressing in. In that verse, they were pressing around Him and listening to the Word. That's a great thing, is it not? Anytime people press in and listen to the Word of God, that's a good thing. You think about what Peter says in 1 Peter, that, that we were born again, right? Through the living and enduring Word of God. That's how, we're, that's how people come to Christ is through the Word of God. So we see people pressing in and listening to the Word. That's a good thing. But no doubt, some were probably pressing in, not only to hear the Word, but waiting for the miracle. That's obvious. But yeah, that, that's always a good thing when you, when you can when people press in to listen to the word of God. It, it reminds me of uh, of what Angela was telling us yesterday when we were talking about missionaries and that type of thing. And I don't remember who it was, but they would missionaries would release balloons that, that would go over to North Korea with the Gospel of John in them. Why would people do that? Because the word of God. 
That's how people are converted. No doubt God saved many of His people through those means. Getting a balloon with the Gospel of John. And so that's just an, anticip- or that's just an example of that. But it says they were, uh, the crowds were pressing in. Picture, I mean, he's, he's standing next to the water and they're really, they're really just trying to, they're, they're, they're pressing in on him. And so, but it says he's by the, uh, um, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is also more commonly known as the Sea of Galilee, guys. So when you see those praises, it's the same, talking about the same body of water. The Old Testament calls it the Sea of Chinnereth. John, in his Gospel, calls it the Sea of Tiberias. I stumped my wife this morning with that. <laughs> I didn't realize that though, until you start studying some of these things. That It's the same body of water. It was 13 miles wide, 7 miles long. Really, it was the main geographical structure of that, of that part of the world. Everything was kind of done around this Sea of Galilee. And it says they were listening to the Word of God no doubt they were hearing the gospel, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. That Jesus, obviously he's the master teacher. He's not going to veer off the main subject. He's preaching the gospel to them. And it says they were, they were listening to the word of God. Just, just hearing Jesus speak and you're going to be hearing the, word, the very words of God as they're coming out of his mouth. Whether he's quoting the Old Testament or, right, or whether with his authority he is pronouncing the Word of God, because He is God. He, they're hearing God's Word coming out of the, the Son of God. You know, it makes me think of John chapter 5, verse 24, as these people are listening to the Son of God speak. You know, people nowadays, they hear the Word of God. They hear the voice of the Son of God as we preach the Word of God. But here they had God incarnate. And He says in John chapter 5, verse 24, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears My Word, and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. No doubt they would have been hearing some of these type of things as He's preaching the Word of God to them. We say the same thing, do we not? We say the same thing when we're we're sharing the Word of God and we're sharing Scripture. You're hearing the very words of Christ. If you'll believe these words, there's power in the Word of God to transfer somebody out of this kingdom of darkness into His beloved kingdom, all through the Word of God. Again, we're seeing that we're seeing the master, His masterful fishing. So the first thing I want you to see is, is obviously He's preaching the Word. Okay, that's always our that's always our weapon in evangelism. That's really what this message is about. In many in, in many ways, is, is is evangelism called to be fishers of men. Let's model it after Christ. He's He's preaching the Word to them, and we're seeing verses two and three. That he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. So he's being pressed in by the crowds. And he sees these two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. I see him being intentional here. He intentionally got in Simon's boat. Obviously, we'll see that in just a minute. He had a plan. <laughs> he knew what he was going to do. Obviously, he knew he was going to be calling Peter to himself. And so he was, he, he and I see intentionality in this. We can learn from that to be, to be intentional. Um, so he's going to be calling Simon to himself. This was not the first time that 
that Simon had encountered Jesus. He in first, Jesus first encountered Simon. Um, if you want to just jot that down, John chapter 1, verse 41 and 42, that's where, that's where Jesus appeared to Simon's brother Andrew. And Andrew went and got Simon. Said, hey, you need to come. This is the Messiah. That was a different encounter. That was before this. But he wasn't, he wasn't fully his disciple after that. So you could, you could say it like he had a, there was an interest in Jesus after that. He knew who he was, but he had not truly called him to himself yet. But we see Jesus getting in Simon's boat. Now when he saw this boat, guys, in verse, in verse 3, it says he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. What do you think Jesus, when we look at this story, what did he see when he looked at this boat? I'm not trying to present a trick question for you. But what he saw, obviously, he saw a pulpit. <laughs> he saw a pulpit. I love this. Being an open air preacher, I love this. Because Jesus, obviously, if you look at verse 44 in the previous chapter, or verse 43 and 44, he says, He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And so it says he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Amen. He went all around preaching in the synagogues. But we see here and in many other instances, that wasn't the only place he preached. I've heard men try to defend, no, he didn't preach outdoors. And I'm like, what are you reading? No, he preached everywhere he could find where people were. And so we see Jesus in his infinite wisdom with a crowd of people looking for a pulpit. And so he, he gets in the boat. He didn't need a building. To preach. If a man's been called to preach, he's been called to preach. Let me ask you this, guys. It's, very, it's just very basic. Is the gospel more powerful in here with this roof and with these walls? No, it's not. I've never understood the, the logic in it. If a man's called to preach, I'm not talking about every person, but if a man is called to preach, doesn't mean every man's going to be outdoors preaching all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But for a man to say, no, no, I'm not gifted in that area. God hasn't called me. I'm a preacher, but I, I just can't do it unless I've got four walls and a roof. Then you're not modeling your ministry after Jesus Christ. We see Him intentionally looking at this boat. And obviously, He's intentional about it because He's also looking for a place to have good acoustics. And if you've ever heard a voice bounce off the water, that's exactly what He's doing. He's, he's able to preach to this large group of people because that's one of the greatest acoustics there is for amplification is the water. I tried this many years ago at the lake um, when Trisha and I and the kids were at the lake. I think it was at Broken Bow, I think. And so the kids, they had got on the big air mattress and they went all the way over to the other side where the cliffs were and it was like a quarter to half a mile away. They looked like little specks over there. And so I just tested that because I knew back in these days they would a lot of times they would preach around the water. And so I tried that. And I think I just quoted like John 3.16 and the kids came back over and they said, we could hear you clear as day. didn't have an amp. But you could hear it bouncing off the water and off the cliffs. It was really neat. But that's what he's doing, guys. He's preaching the Word of God. He didn't have to have a building. He didn't have to have a synagogue. Did he preach in the synagogues? Absolutely. But that's not the only place he preached. So I would... I would repeat what Brother Chuck said when he was here. Unchain the gospel from the pulpit. We see Christ doing it. We see His apostles doing it. 
And we need to do the same thing. And so again, he's being intentional here. It says when he had finished speaking in verse 4, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Again, Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus was being intentional. He knew that he was asking Peter to do this because he was going to soon demonstrate his power that we're going to see next. He was going to give an objective lesson through this miracle that he's going to perform in front of not only Peter, but the other fishermen and the crowd was going to see all this. Jesus was intentional with everything he did. He is a fisher of men. He was fishing for men right here. The crowds were hearing the gospel. Peter, Simon, was hearing the gospel. And then he was going to demonstrate who he was through another miracle. And so, we can learn much from his masterful fishing. We can learn that Jesus Christ, he didn't just do things without having some strategy to it. Strategic. And, and so we can, we can learn from that. That's like, when, when I think about, you know, I've seen guys, and again, in my circle of guys, I've seen, I've seen guys just stand on a corner, and I'm not, I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with doing this. I say, praise the Lord, go out there, hold a sign up, that's, that's fine. But I've seen guys like preaching on the corner, just with traffic, and there's nobody outside, everybody's got their window up, and they're there preaching. Hey, I'm not going to tell a guy not to do that, but I want to go where people can hear me. It's just strategy. <laughs> I mean, that's, I see, I see strategy. I, you know, it, there's, there's a reason why I want to focus everything we do within a decent, or within a, a relatively short distance from our church. Because we're trying to reach people who in God's providence, right, that we would provide a local church for them to come to. Because I'm asked all the time, hey, why don't you come over here and preach? Like three hours, I'm like, well, I've got a limited amount of time and my strategy is for our local church. The Great Commission to preach the Gospel and to, and to make disciples. And so, you see Jesus with just these, this basic strategy. Everything He's doing, there's a, there's a point to it. In verse 5, he says, uh, it says, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. I will do as you say. Remember, Peter was a professional fisherman, guys. He knew his stuff when it, when it came to fishing. He knew when to catch the fish. They would catch the fish in these nets, mostly at night. Okay, He knew how to catch it. And, and, and this, this part's not in the Scripture, but we can, we can probably think Peter's going like, What? <laughs> what did you say? Put, put out into the deep water and, and let down your nets for a catch? In the middle of the day? It's like... And these nets were big nets. This was hard work. They'd already cleaned their nets and washed their nets. Now you want me to put it out, put them out again? Why don't you stick to preaching? Let me stick to fishing. Maybe just some thoughts that were going through his mind. But I'll tell you another thought. And we mentioned this last week. Remember when he healed Peter's mother-in-law? Don't think that wouldn't have been in his mind. He witnessed that. Simon was probably in the synagogue when the demon was cast out. And then, he, and then he witnessed his mother-in-law being healed and all the other people coming to, to his house and being healed and these multiple demons being cast out. These things would have been in Peter's mind. We're going, okay, 
So what does he say? Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Peter's thinking this over real carefully. The word master, in verse 5, it means chief or commander. It's a very respectful title of authority, but it's not, not deity. That's, that's not yet in his thinking. But, it, but he's, he respects Jesus. He, he understands that he's, he's a leader. He said, but I'll do as you say. And beloved, what's he saying? I'll trust and obey. I'll trust and obey. And for you and I, as followers of Christ, beloved, that's the bottom line, right? The bottom line in our life is obey. Because He's Lord. If He tells us to do something, obey. We don't have to have all the details. We don't have to have, We usually don't. Following Christ, you usually don't have all the details. We're just following Him, right? Step by step. Walking. I mean, a lot of His commands are very clear. But life can get very complex. But we're to follow Christ. That's the bottom line. We obey because He is Lord. And what's He telling Peter to do? Let down your net. Apply that to your life. Apply that to our life. Jesus says, let down the gospel net. That's what this is. It's a picture of fish. He's catching fish. Jesus says, let down the net. But God, I haven't seen any results. It feels like I'm banging my head against the wall. It feels like there's no fruit, right? We're preaching. And people, they're just not responding the way we want. But what does Jesus say? Let down the nets. I'll catch the fish. You let down the nets. We believe that God is sovereign in salvation. Amen? Amen. We believe that, right? Maybe you've had this question. Others have it. But if you've ever had that, okay, if God is sovereign in salvation and He has an elect people and He's going to save them, then why evangelize? Can I give you the shortest, most direct answer? Because He said to. <laughs> because He's Lord and He said to. And obviously, we could give even more... Uh, we could give even better answers than that. Well, not better. That's the best answer. But we could even fill in the blank even more. Because He, is, he has ordained the end from the beginning, but He's also ordained the means, and we are the means. How are they here without a preacher? How are they believe? Right? Unless they hear the message. But because He says so, beloved, that should be enough. Don't think you have to have everything figured out to obey the Lord. I mean, what does it say in Proverbs, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge, acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths in every area of your life. But that's why we do it, because He commands us to do it. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll do what I say. So it's really an, an example of just loving him. And so beloved, maybe like Peter, right? He's a professional fisherman. There'll be times in your life, maybe you, maybe you have been there. I know I have. We all have. But maybe you think you know more than the Lord in the area of evangelism. It's really sad to see a lot of churches think that. They think they know more than what, than what God says in His Word. And so they resort to all kinds of Gimmicks and all kinds of pragmatism, right? You know what pragmatism means? If it works, then do it. Or if it, if, if it appears to work. We, we stray away from what Scripture says and we offer all kinds of carnality and, and, and water down the Gospel and we get all these decisions which it appears outwardly, well, it's working. People are responding 
And only to see, lo and behold, most of these people really aren't converted. And they're carnal, and there's no love for Christ, and they fall away. And so it's best to just stick with what Christ says in His Word, which is to proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? To whoever you can in your life. Whether you have a relationship with them, whether you don't, whether it's multiple people, whether it's one, we're to proclaim the Gospel and pray that, that God would bring the increase. That's what it says in Scripture. It's very simple. And so church, Jesus is a masterful. He was the masterful fisherman of men. He was the masterful fisherman of men. We can trust His methods. His methods is to explain the Gospel to somebody and to appeal to them, to respond, and to pray for them. That's it. You can't convert a soul. Jesus can. But we're to follow His methods. Preach the Word. Let down the nets. That's what He's telling you and I. That's what He's telling His church. Let down the nets. Trust in His wisdom and the power of the Word to do the work that only it can do in the hearts of men. Is that simple enough? Amen. He is the masterful fisherman. We're to follow Him. And secondly, we'll see His mighty power in verses 6-9. through His mighty power. Verses 6 and 7. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in, in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Look at that in verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. Beloved, do you understand in the same way Jesus, anytime He chooses to do to do it, He can save multitudes of sinners in the blink of an eye. Just like He had these men catch these multitudes of fish. Probably literally like a ton of fish. He can do the same thing with men as well. He is the one who brings in revival. We're to just trust and obey. But He can save multitudes of sinners just like this great quantity of fish. It says, in, it says the nets began to break. It didn't say they broke, because if they broke, they wouldn't have been able to catch all the fish. They began to break. And, and, the, and the boats began to sink. Can you imagine witnessing that? This whole crowd witnessing that? These boats beginning to sink? I mean, it's like trouble on the water. <laughs> they had a situation on their hand. We read this and we're like, oh, that's neat. These boats, these fishing boats were decent size, and they began to sink. But this is right where Jesus wanted them. This is right where Jesus wanted them. What a miraculous catch this would have been. And Peter knew it. Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew what a miracle this was. The impact that this had on Peter. But we're seeing here in this, in this narrative, a few weeks ago we saw Jesus really demonstrated who He was. His power over demons. His power over the kingdom of darkness. Last week we saw His, his power over disease, power over sickness. And now what are we seeing? Power over creation. Power over His creation. If we remember who it is. Right? That all things were created by Him, by Christ. 
Things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Colossians 1.16 In Egypt, in the Exodus, remember the frogs, right? The frogs, the flies, the locusts, they all obeyed the voice of Yahweh. The same one here, now the fish is obeying. The fish are obeying His voice. God is in their midst. Peter's beginning to realize this. Who it is that's in his midst. Who it was that healed his mother-in-law. Who it was that he witnessed cast out the demons. Who it is that Peter could try this all the days of his life. If he was the best fisherman in the world and couldn't haul in a catch like this. And yet Jesus does it with just a word. He's realizing that yes, God is in their midst. We have, we have spent many many weeks during Luke emphasizing the fact that he is, he is truly man. Right? He was fully man. Tempted in all points as you and I. But we cannot forget that He is man and God. He is fully God. Beloved, He made the fish that are in the lake and He made the lake. He made the water. This is the very one. At the very least, he was demonstrating his omniscience that he knew where the fish were. Cast your nets. That's at the very least. It was probably, it was probably more so not only did he know where they are, he called them to that spot. However many hundreds and thousands of fish this was, he's the one who called them. And they obeyed. Isn't that beautiful? They obeyed his command. The fish obeyed his command. The waves obey his commands, right? This far and no further. Isn't that beautiful? They obey His commands. Sinners will come at His commands as well. That's why we can just preach the Word. I'm so glad the pressure's not on me. How many converts do you have? I, I don't get any converts. But sinners will obey His Word when He tells them to come, right? The nations will obey on that final day, they will stand before Him and give an account. It's this very one. The locusts obey Him. The flies obey Him. The gnats obey Him. The nations will obey Him. The dead will obey Him. They will all rise with the resurrected body and stand before Him in judgment. The devil will obey Him. He will come and be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, you and I can go out in confidence as we preach His Word that sinners will hear His voice and they will come to Him in their appointed time. I think it's Acts 13.48 says, as many as the apostles were preaching, as many as were appointed believed. As many were appointed before the foundation of the world, they believed on that day. And the same will happen with sinners. So how did Peter respond in verses 8 and 9? It says, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. How did he respond? Well, he's beginning to have thoughts like, this man knows what's going on underneath the surface of the water. But no doubt, Peter would have begun to have these thoughts as well. 
Not only does he know what's going on underneath the water, as John says in his Gospel, chapter 2, verse 25, he knows what's in a man. He knows what's in a man. It's one thing for Jesus to know where the fish are, but He knows what's inside your heart right now. He knows what's inside your mind before you ever think it, good or bad. And Peter's beginning to understand this. You know, think about how the world would have reacted. Think about how Peter could have reacted. Peter is a professional fisherman, and he got skunked many times. He got skunked the night before. And then he sees Jesus say, cast your net over here, and they catch this ton of fish. So the question I asked, that I asked, how did Peter respond? It would have been understandable for Peter to say, hey Jesus, let's, let's go 50-50 in this thing, man. Let's start a business. My professional fisherman and your, your power here, we can, we can clean it up, but that's not what he did, right? He didn't do like Bubba. Bubba and Forrest, 50-50 Forrest. We'll just split it right down the middle. That's what, that's what he, they, they'd have made a lot of profit. No, he begged him to leave. He caught all these fish at the command of Jesus. And, 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 and what does he say? But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He begged the Lord to leave. He suddenly realized the one who could see the depths of the lake could see the depths of his heart. And that terrified him. Beloved, there's sometimes, and I'm not talking about doubting my salvation, but there's sometimes when the Lord exposes my sin to me through attitudes and just it's it's sanctification. And he brings things in my life that exposes my sin. Sometimes I don't even feel like a Christian. I'm going throughout my week going, I'm a pastor. I don't even feel like I'm a Christian. Because it's this very thing. I know that He sees me for who I am. And this time He says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Curios, God. He addresses Him as God. He understands who He is. He is God in the flesh. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's a natural response. Beloved, when we come across, when, when, when sinners, people, when they're exposed to who God really is, it produces this kind of fear. It produces this kind of, go away from me. I, don't want, I, I can't be in the light. This is too much. You know, those in the world, they shouldn't be comfortable in the presence of the Lord. They're, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be comfortable in our worship service. Now what do I mean by that? Obviously, they should be comfortable around the love of God's people. God's people should love a stranger, an unconverted person who walks in here. They should experience the love from God's people, but they should also experience the holiness of God through His Word being proclaimed. You see, there's churches I've read about that they... They'll, they'll, they'll plant a church or whatever. They'll have a church in a certain area and they'll go around to the neighbors and ask them, what kind of music do you like? And they'll build their worship service around the opinions of unconverted people. That's not biblical. No, we want to 
we want to form our worship service, right? What happens in here, not just the singing, all of it through what God's Word says. Preach the Word. Read Scripture. Pray. All of these things, and it's not attractive to the world. But there should be an uncomfortable feeling if you're not in Christ when you're confronted with who you are. We see it all through the Scriptures. We've looked at examples of that, but here's another one in Judges chapter 13, verse 22. This was Samson's parents. When the angel of the Lord had appeared to him, appeared to them, and he consumed the offering, I believe it was, with fire. And it says, So Manoah, who was Samson's father, said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. It's a serious thing when you're confronted with the real and living God. In our case, through His Word. When God exposes your sin, exposes you for who you are, the first time in a person's life, there's fear. And it wasn't only Peter. It says his companions as well. Amazement had seized them all and all his companions because of the catch of the fish. But but he says, go away from me, Lord. It's It's a natural request, but it's a foolish one. It's a foolish one on Peter's part, on Simon's part. It's a good thing Jesus didn't grant that request. Go away from me, Lord. That's the worst thing we want, guys. We don't want the Lord to go away from us. No, the same one He's asking to go away from Him actually becomes our mediator so that we can have access to the Holy God. Right? It's the Gospel. That's why Christ came. He came to reconcile us to His Father. So it's a good thing Jesus didn't grant His request. That He didn't depart from Him. And let's let's wrap this up. His merciful call in verses 10 and 11. And so also were James and John. So James and John was there, who obviously would become two of the twelve. Sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed Him. We see here, lastly, His merciful call. Church, aren't you thankful for His mercy? Are you thankful for His mercy? Yes. <laughs> you, know, you remember what mercy is? It's God not giving you what you deserve. Oh. So thankful for His mercy. No, church, it's when we're broken over our sin. As Peter was beginning, he was beginning to be broken over his sin. It's when we're broken over our sin that the Lord will draw near. A person's in a good place if you're beginning to see yourself for who you are. It's a, it's a, it's a. I don't remember. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a, it's a humbling feeling. I remember the first time I realized who I was, and it was just my. It's like my whole life flashed before my eyes, and and I thought, oh, this is who I am. But praise God, I had the good news shared with me, so I could cry out to God. God, God, come to me and rescue me. Not go away from me. Come to me and rescue me. Listen to Isaiah 66 verse 2. For my hand made all these things. 
Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Right? We see His, we see His majesty, His power. But to this one I will look to Him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at My Word. That's the one whom God draws near to. This is the one I will look to. Those who, those who are humble and contrite and who tremble at My Word. Not those who oppose My Word. Not those who want to argue with My Word. But those who tremble at My Word. Do you tremble at the Word of God? Oh, beloved, what a, what a, what a purpose we have now in life being redeemed. We have a purpose for living. Do you understand that? Do you ever hear the, the, the purposelessness in people's lives? They have no purpose. We just had a family member the other day. And, and he was just talking about, I mean, it's not sinful stuff in and of itself, but just, yeah, this person makes this much money and this person makes this much money and then, and then it's just like, you know, and they retire and, you, and it's just like, and, but what's the point? There's no purpose in it. You eat, you live, you die. No, that's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, no, what's the purpose of all of it in the end? Fear God and keep His commandments because we're all going to stand before Him in judgment. But you and I have a purpose. We have been redeemed by the Son of God. What mercy, what grace He has bestowed upon us. And for sinners, if there's anybody here, Anybody that would listen to this, those who are not in Christ, you can stop being afraid. You don't have to dread God. Now, it's a healthy thing if you do dread God. If you're not right with Him, you need to dread God. But you don't have to stay there. You know, the Bible, I looked at it, and I, the Bible uses that word a lot how sinners dread God. Because innately, they know judgment day is coming, they know it. There's a dread of God, right, in Revelation? Right? It says they, 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 they seek for the mountains and the rocks to fall on Him rather than to face the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The wrath of the Lamb. The same One who came the first time to save, to give His life as a ransom, is the, is the One who is going to pour out His wrath. And it says they dread Him to the point. They seek death, but death escapes them. No, beloved, He takes sinful men like these men, like Peter. Peter was a sinful man. Like Abraham was a sinful man. You and I are sinful. He takes men like these men and He saves them. He saves them and He calls them to Himself as His ambassadors. The same men who are fearful of Him, who have a dread of Him, rightly so, He can now reconcile them to Himself. What hope we have in the Gospel you understand the hope that you have because of Christ? Sometimes it's good to remember what life would be like without Christ. You would be hopeless. We would all be hopeless marching towards that day. I'd be scared to close my eyes and go to sleep for fear that I would not wake up. That I have an aneurysm in my sleep and die and stand before God. But no, we have hope. We have peace with God. Since we've been justified by faith, Paul says in Romans 5.1, we now have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, do not fear, Simon. From now on, you will be catching men. Catching. This is the purpose of our life. Beloved, it is the purpose of our life. Obviously, to glorify God in everything that we do. But He's left us here to catch men. He doesn't need us. But this all-sovereign, all-powerful God would use a wretch like me to catch men. That word catching, it means to catch alive. Think about what Peter was, right? He's a fisherman. They catch fish, obviously. (laughs) They catch them alive, but then they kill them, they sell them, they eat them. No, he said you're going to be catching men. Catching alive, that means rescuing them from danger. That sounds like a great purpose for living. Sinners are dead in sin. Okay? It's like just the opposite of fishing. The fish are alive. You catch them. (laughs) You kill them, you eat them, you sell them. Now, sinners are dead in sin, and you catch them, and now they're made alive in Christ. What a purpose for living. Beloved, if you've been rescued, if you have been rescued from an eternal hell, then there should be a desire to rescue others. Amen. A desire. Doesn't mean you're the greatest evangelist around, it just means there should be a desire there because the Holy Spirit now indwells you. Is there a desire there? The famous quote by Charles Spurgeon, if you have no wish for others to be saved, you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. That's what he says. That's scriptural. Again, don't get that twisted. He doesn't say you're saved by evangelism. No, he said, if you don't even have a wish for others to be saved, you're not saved yourself. I know for eight years as a false convert, you know how how often I thought about the salvation of other people? Not one second. But when God converted me, all of a sudden, I was alive spiritually, and I began to think, my family doesn't know Christ. There was a desire there. There was a wish there. I almost choked on pizza as a 13-year-old boy. Some of you have heard the story. I mean, literally like minutes away at at the very most. Maybe under a minute. At Mazio's Pizza. Me and my mother, my brother, just a few other... High school age girls in there, the workers, and I was choking to death. I couldn't make a noise. And, and in God's providence, it wasn't my appointment. An officer walked in, just happened to walk in the front door and did that and a piece of cheese came out. Guess what? I was rescued from choking on pizza. And so, I am very, very aware of and I have a desire for my children as they were growing up when they're eating something with cheese, chew it up! Because I was rescued. I just told that to Trish on Friday. We went to eat pizza after I got off work. And she, you should have seen the way she was eating this pizza. Like a teenager just garfing <laughs> it down. And I'm like, honey, slow down. Why did I say that though? Because I've been rescued. I knew it was like to almost die from eating pizza. And by the grace of God, that man rescued me. And so I, it scares me. When I'm eating that thick cheese, I, I have flashbacks. And so... I don't want others to choke on the cheese because I was rescued. Beloved, we've been saved to be fishers of men. This is the main thing. I hope you don't ever get me tired of saying this is the main thing. Because it is. This is the main thing. And he says, he tells Simon, you will be catching men. He didn't say you might. Now how can we know this? Because that promises for all of his disciples. You will be catching men. How can we know this? Because it says He will 
save his people. Not might. He has an innumerable amount of people out there that he's going to save. And you and I are the means. It could be somebody that you give a track to that 20 years down the road, God converts. Maybe not even that person, but the person who took the track out of the trash can that He uses to convert that soul. And they'll meet you in heaven one day. You will be catching men. Beloved, we throw out the nets. That's our job. We're the fishermen. We throw out the nets. Right? That could be a picture of preaching. Mass evangelism, right? We, we, we throw out the nets. We use fishing bowls, right? One-on-one. You talk to your family member. You talk to your friend. You talk to whoever it is. We throw out the jug lines. You ever fish with a jug line? I did that growing up. Again, you're catching one fish. You throw out the trot lines. Catching multiple fish. All of these different ways that we evangelize and share the Gospel, but He is the one who saves. You and I don't save. How many people did you save today? I didn't save anybody today and I can't. Beloved, this is your purpose. This is your this is your purpose. This is what he saved you for. In closing, verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. You see, we see the value of the one. When we come to Christ, we see the value of the one who gave up everything for us. The eternal God left the glories of heaven. Right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. He gave up everything. Not His deity. Right? But He he took on a human nature and suffered at the hands of godless men so that you could be saved. He suffered and died on the cross. He suffered the wrath of God for our sin. He bore the wrath that you and I deserve. All the sins that you've committed against God, He was punished as if He lived your life, as if He lived my life. He went into the grave and He conquered death for our justification. We see the value of the eternal God, the eternal Son of God, God the Son, who gave up everything for us. And then through His Spirit, His Spirit changes us, beloved, and enables us. He is the one who enables us to follow Him. It's all God's grace. He is the one who enables us to follow Him. Beloved, your life, the song we sang, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you have been bought with a price. What was that price? The blood of the Son of God. We are redeemed not with that which is perishable, but with that which is imperishable. The, the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Why do we want to glorify God in our body? Because we were bought. It's not some works righteousness. It's because of the One who loved us. Beloved, it says they left everything. When they had brought their boats to land, it says they left everything and followed Him. It wasn't much. They didn't have much. These weren't rich men. But it was all they had. 
imagine, you imagine them hauling their boats around and their nets around. Again, this is not teaching, hey, if you want to be saved, you've got to get rid of your car and <laughs> your house. That's not what this is teaching. This is a picture for us. Imagine them hauling their boats around, their nets around, all their tackle around to the villages as Jesus preached and they got all these boats. Now these things won't fit through the narrow gate, guys. This is a picture for us. This is the Gospel call, beloved, to many people who do not know Christ. And it's always a call in our life as His disciples to continue to follow after Him. The Gospel call, are you willing to give up your selfish ambitions? Are you willing to give up your sinful pleasures? Are you willing to give up your idols? Are you willing to give up your comforts and your reputations? Are you willing to give up your selfishness? What does Jesus say? Anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself. Opposite message of the world, right? Take up the cross and follow me. And then an illustration, guys, of this real illustration of this. What, is it, what does it mean by this? We can say these things, but when we come to Christ, Jesus says, what, the, the verse I read earlier, Matthew 10, whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You're not worthy of being my disciple. And here's a, here's a real life Sad illustration of this. Because I could ask you the question, Jesus calls you to come after Him, to follow Him. What if your family rejects you in so doing? Which that happens all the time. He says your family will reject you. Many times. There's very few people I know that truly, like all their families Christian, they all just agree on Christ. There's some, by the grace of God, praise God. But what if your family rejects you? I know a pastor friend that he's, he's now up in his... He's probably almost 70 years old. Had six or seven kids. Godly man. Definition of a pastor. Him and his, him and his wife did everything. I mean, they had all their I's dotted, the T's crossed. Raised their kids. Homeschooled them. Taught them, taught them the Lord. They all professed faith in Christ. And as adults... Every one, but I think one of them has turned away from the faith. They said, Dad, I don't believe a word you taught us. Okay? That's hard enough. And I had conversations with this guy about that. That was five years ago or so. But since then, I've heard that now even his wife, Because she couldn't stand the rejection of her kids. She's turned away from the Lord and is following after her kids. Now, blood, if she continues to go down that path, she's demonstrating she was never God's. She didn't lose her salvation. She's demonstrated she never had it. They went out from us because they were never of us. Jesus said, those who endure to the end will be saved. That's what His Gospel call is. Even if your family rejects you, even if your wife rejects you after years of marriage, rejects Christ, are you going to follow after Me? Or do you love your family more than you love Me? Those are hard verses. But it's true. 
You know, I see that in many people's lives. Many young people bringing children into the world. There, there is a such thing. There is a such thing as making your children idols. And that's what that lady's doing. She's turning away from Christ because she's placing her relationship with her kids above Christ. And it's a sad reality. Beloved, there's no, there's no promise. You can, raise, you can raise your kids. You can teach them the Gospel. But you can't save them. And if the, very, if the, ones, that, the very ones that you love the most and you've invested the most in turns away from Christ, are you going to remain faithful? That's the question. There's no greater privilege, guys, than to be called by God to be His disciple. That He calls you out of darkness to follow after Him regardless of whether you, if you're the only one in your family, if you're the only one in a group of all these people that you thought were walking with the Lord with you and they depart one by one, Jesus said, are you going to remain faithful? Not perfect, but are you going to follow Me to the end? You see, Judas demonstrated he wasn't really one of his disciples. There's no greater privilege, beloved, than to follow after Christ. There's no greater privilege than to walk with God. Uh, Watch over your soul, dear saints. Watch over your souls. Right? We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. But God gives warnings to His people. He really does. And so what a great privilege to be called by God out of darkness and then to be used by Him. Sinful creatures like you and I to be used by Him to proclaim His Gospel and to see others called out of darkness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son, Lord. Thank You for God taking the initiative. Oh, Father, it's even so much greater than that, Lord. We were predetermined before the world began. God, Christ was predetermined before the world began to die on the cross, to suffer at the hands of godless men, Lord. And You set Your love upon us before the foundation of the world, Lord. You called us out of darkness. You caused us to hear the voice of our shepherd calling us by name to come to Him. And so, Father, we thank You for that, Lord. God, You've given us Your precious gifts, Lord, in the church. You've given us Your Word. All the promises in Your Word, the warnings in Your Word. And God, You expect us to to exercise these means of grace that You've given us, Lord. Not to neglect the church, not to neglect Your Word, not to neglect prayer. These very things, Lord, You use to preserve us to the end, God. Not that we're earning anything, but they're all, all these things are a gift from You to help us in our walk. Father, I just pray that this message would, God would get through to somebody, Lord, who doesn't know You. Father, that they would truly examine their life. They'd be willing to repent and embrace Christ as Lord, Lord, for the first time in their life. Lord, we're just so grateful that You would save us 
and then that you would use us in any way, shape, or form. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.